Glass here, people. Did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. It's Simpsons time. The part of the show when I talk about a Simpsons episode. And sometimes contextualize it by talking about other TV shows that it is similar to or contrasting with, or other Simpsons episodes that it may recall. And this one that I'm going to talk about today is a real fun one. It's an early one. Episode 24, One Fish, Two Fish, Blowfish, Bluefish. A gem from season two. This is written by Nell Scovell. This is uh, her only credit as a Simpsons writer. And she's a very accomplished sitcom writer, has written for many different shows. And uh, directed by Wes Archer, who I think Matt Groening was like a little mad at for this episode because there were some, not mistakes, but he fudged the model of Homer a little bit. The um, squiggle of hair over his ear is always supposed to be straight. In this episode, we see it's wavy. And I think we see it in uh, like other episodes, too. In season two animators could still very much get away with little cheats like that uh, or little preferences that flew under the radar. You probably recall that the animation in especially season one but season two also is much more loose than it became The majority of fans really love the looseness of seasons three and four because it's just the right kind of looseness. It's not perfect, but it is so close to perfect and extremely detailed. But listen, season two is nothing to sneeze at either. And there are, you know, in the looseness, there's some delightfully weird poses that fans always like to screen capture and stuff. I myself took pictures of my TV screen um, in this one during the scene when Homer is being told that he's about to die by Dr. Hibbert uh, and he's going through the stages of grief. Anger is the, of course, funniest stage of grief 
and he has these really crazy grotesque you know facial expressions and his body is like out of proportion when he's uh just for one second about to fly at dr hibbert in a rage upon being told that he's got 24 hours to live Or, as Hibbert quickly amends, it's actually 22 hours because he kept him waiting in the waiting room so long. This, uh, apropos of our recent um, Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator roundtable that we did for the podcast, um, is the introduction of Akira, who is, uh, you know, a notable minority group character on The Simpsons. Um, and the first Asian person in Springfield with a speaking role, except for Bart's friend, Richard, uh, who, of course, is not ever given very many lines. He's just seen. Uh, Akira is the waiter in the Japanese restaurant, um, and later on he's seen teaching karate also, and George Takei does his voice, and he is, you know, he's very funny and... Much like Apu, you know, who is the other minority group character, or, you know, the minority group character that we talk about when we talk about minorities on The Simpsons. Uh, he's very tolerant of Homer's buffoonery. You know, he's polite and, uh, you know, can't not think that Homer is an ass, but sort of rolls his eyes at it. The uh, Homer Simpsonic behavior. of gluttonously eating everything on the sushi menu. Uh, Sab Shimono is also a guest star here, the sushi master, who goes on a steamy backseat car date with <laughs> Miss Krabappel during the episode, during the dinner. And the uh, sushi apprentice chef is played by Joey Miyashima. The other guest star here is Larry King, who appears at the very, very end. He never appears, but his voice appears. And I will get to that later. Last time around, last week, we talked about Homer's enemy, which is held up as one of the darkest Simpsons episodes. Um, and I would hold this one up as maybe the second darkest, um, if indeed Homer's enemy is the darkest. There is a lot of gloom here, and especially at the very end, there's a little bit of doubt that Homer will actually live. And it is, it's treated very emotionally for all its funniness. Marge's poem is very 
sad and that visual of Homer slumping in his chair as he's listening to the Bible. is quite dramatic. The other one that I can think of as being extremely dark is in season one, the second episode of the regular season when um, Homer attempts suicide. <laughs> so maybe I'll talk about that one next time if I have it in me. But I think it's very cool how the episode is kept funny, even as this heaviest of topics is introduced. Because it starts as this delightful romp through the sushi restaurant. Um, you know, we start with Lisa bemoaning the fact that they have the same kind of food every week and um, she wishes they could try something new. And so they all pack into the car and go to the new sushi restaurant. And in 1991, sushi, you know, was not really a fad that had caught on everywhere in the country. So it was very fresh for satire. And it is, you know, very much a quintessential Japanese restaurant. They really got details right about how the little flags are supposed to look over the sushi bar and uh, the way they kneel in front of the table and, you know, the wooden table and the bamboo screens and all these things. Um, One detail that I always like is that Homer is drinking an extra large uh, bottle of beer, the way you would get, the, the, the type you would get in a Japanese restaurant. You know, like a 40 of beer with that, that bottle shape. And on the label, it's Duff, but it's called like Duffaru or something like that. Um, I am very, very fond of Homer's uh, emotional turnaround once he tries sushi and decides that he loves it, you know, because up until he puts it in his mouth, he's completely Archie Bunker about just the idea of eating raw fish. And it's just something that I personally have such a problem with when people are closed-minded about anything. But when it's about food, it, it really makes me particularly annoyed. I know it's something I need to work on, but <laughs> um, picky eaters, uh, you know, have never really... It's always something that I have to, like, deal with. I realize that people have food allergies and stuff like that. So, 
when Homer reveals himself to just be the great guy that he is for all his flaws and is just completely friendly to everyone at the sushi restaurant as long as they keep shoveling sushi into his gaping maw. He wins my admiration. And this is really an early development of the Homer that we will come to know. He loves the world, you know, he loves eating. Exotic things are great. They're, they're fine by him. He just wants to experience um, everything to its most extreme. Of course, the last thing on the menu that he needs to try is fugu, which can be poisonous if sliced incorrectly. Although, now uh, fugu, which is the Japanese word for blowfish, is not as toxic because it's farm-raised. Can you tell that I listened to the DVD commentary of this? I did. Uh, I have a Simpsons bootleg pin of the diagram of the fugu, you know, with skull and crossbones on every butchering section except for this tiny little sliver right in the middle of the fish. And I really appreciate that that was captured and made into a pin because the grumpy expression of the fugu is like perfect. And I'm not sure why, but I like to say to myself the thing that the chef says when he's trying to slice it. When he goes, poison, poison, tasty fish. <laughs> I find it funny. So... Another uh, touch that they got right about the sushi restaurant is that there is a sushi master um, and there's somebody who's trying to learn how to slice sushi. And we see a little snippet of their interaction before the fugu thing happens. But of course, when Homer orders fugu, the master's skilled ha hands are busy grabbing onto Ms. Krabappel in the back of the car. Uh, and that's very notable because Ms. Krabappel did not have a reputation before then. And that really, really um, strong moment where we see her date um, with the sushi master is it, it does a lot you know to further the characterization of her as a single woman who gets around and we love her for it you know she's like really that makes her so much more interesting than just this like teacher that's always annoyed
And it's also an early example of uh, Simpsons having this amazing well of characters to draw from, you know, so that when there is a date going on, it's not just anybody, it's, it's a person in the cast. Anyway, the skilled hands are not busy for long because uh, when the master comes back, he realizes what has happened and uh, tells Homer that he has to go to the hospital and this kicks off the very sad, very dark rest of the episode. Dr. Hibbert, in typical flippant fashion, tells Homer uh, what to expect as he dies, the, you know, the next evening. And so the rest of the episode is taken up with Homer's list of things that he wants to do before he dies. Um, and there's a pamphlet, so you're going to die. Um, And yeah, I mean, this idea of having 24 hours to live is mined so well for joke after joke. They all really hit. Uh, Marge says that she wants to wake up with him and watch the sun rise together. And that is the first joke. You know, it fades to the next morning at like 11.58 and he, that's when he finally wakes up so he's missed like half of the last day on earth. Um, and all these great really evil things happen. The evilest being that he gets arrested for speeding um, and has to be bailed out by Barney. There's room for a little bit of sweetness, though, because some time is taken up by him bonding with Grandpa. An early look at, you know, Grandpa being lonely. And extremely uncharacteristic of Homer to have anything to do with Grandpa. I feel like jerk-ass Homer would ignore Grandpa even on his last day on Earth. But season two, Homer is very happy to go fishing with him and all this. And the motif of the list is um, returned to again and again as he has to cross things off that he doesn't have time for. Like plant a tree, he says, like, oh, I was really looking forward to that one. <laughs> like, um, he makes a videotape for Maggie and uh, steals the camcorder from Flanders to do so. So that's definitely a jerk-ass move. And during the videotape, the phone rings and you just see him standing in front of the camera scratching his ass while he's talking to Millhouse on the phone. 
So yeah, all these interesting things happen until he is, as I said before, taken in by Eddie and Lou, who are both wearing sunglasses and who look especially menacing. Eddie and Lou really occasionally are like the jerkiest jerk cops you can imagine. And it is underscored here by their wearing sunglasses and just being so cruel to him. So, yeah, like Barney, who lives right near the jail, in a wonderfully squalid apartment, the design of which is just so great. a little similar to Smithers's apartment and sh who shot Mr. Burns actually. It's like not quite extreme hoarding situation, just like polka dotted with garbage <laughs> like all over the place. Barney bails Homer out with his rusty money that Chief Wiggum complains about uh, and then drives him to Moe's, necessitating him crossing off even more things on the list. And finally, when he realizes how late he realizes how late it's getting, makes Barney drive him back home. But we find out that Barney got a flat tire, so Homer runs home to awaiting Marge and kids who are dressed up all fancy, even though the kids don't know why. Uh, and Marge, of course, is very, very wistful and sad and worried that you know he has not shown up after all this time when he runs home it is a straight up uh, graduate parody of the, you know the movie the graduate you hear the uh, Paul Simon-esque strumming guitar as he's running and he goes up to the window and pounds on it and goes, Marge, Marge, a la Dustin Hoffman. Um, that's the first time, and it won't be the last time, that The Graduate is referenced in The Simpsons. And, yeah, here comes the sweetness. The, the jokes kind of stop at the end of the dinner, or actually, there is no dinner, I'm sorry. Since he's so late, the kids are sitting around in their pajamas. And they have to be put to bed. So the last thing on his list is achieved, which is he is intimate with his wife, and intimate is misspelled on his list. Oh, I should go back and say one of the other things that he did was to teach Bart how to shave. And that is interesting uh, to me because he has chest hair in this. 
And that's something that we see in early Homer, that he has like squiggles of chest hair, which he later lost. Um, and that joke of him shaving off the brown muzzle was used a couple of times and is another kind of hallmark of early Simpsons. You know, sort of remarking on like how weird it is to have a brown beard line like that. Marge reads her poem, which is just like so Marge and like has has this like pathetic aura of like that's the best poem she could have come up with. <laughs> you know, it's like just so simple, so predictable. Uh, but, you know, he appreciates it. They are intimate and do you like how I said intimate? Um, and then he goes downstairs to listen to a book on tape of the Bible read by Larry King. Which makes me sort of smile every time I see that and hear the way he begins it. Hi, I'm Larry King. In the beginning, the God, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Just like straight to the point. Um, books on tape were also something that was... Uh, a relatively new thing and I remember being a kid and uh, watching it with my dad and my dad laughing at the fact that he sees the Bible and then opens it up and it's a book on tape and the slump happens that we see from the back of the chair as Homer's watching the sunrise. And we soon realize that he just fell asleep. It was a very dramatic slump for him just falling asleep, but when distraught Marge discovers him in the morning, his drool is still warm. It means he didn't die. Hooray! The Simpsons live to do another 580 episodes after that. All of which I will talk about. <laughs> Lucky you. You get to listen to this uh, for many, many, many more years. Um, the very simple animation that the credits roll over of... Homer eating pork rinds light after pledging to Marge that from now on he will live life to its fullest uh, was sort of um, a stopgap because there was a whole other sequence that needed to be cut out. Or not cut out, but like not even animated because there wasn't time for it. But in the script, apparently, um, you, uh, you'll recall that Flanders during the camcorder time invites Homer to a barbecue that he gleefully accepts the invitation to because he'll be dead by then. Um, but in the script, he actually goes to the barbecue and 
has all these indignities happen to him. And the last line was supposed to be Marge saying, well, you are glad to be alive, aren't you? Aren't you? Which would have been so great to see. Talk about dark. Thank you for listening to Simpsons Time. This has been Simpsons Time. And I realize uh, I did not have time to talk about uh, the karaoke bar at the beginning of the episode. So this is in lieu of talking about it. Thank you for listening to Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator. My phone makes a noise. Look at all that. That's terrible. You can't have your phone making a noise while you're recording a podcast. What do you think this is? This is not just a rinky-dink podcast. This is a real podcast done by WFMU and me, Amanda Nazario. And I'm so glad that you listened to... My discussion of one fish, two fish, blowfish, bluefish this week. I'll be back next week to discuss a different one in much the same way. We are, of course, listening to the theme from Shaft, which Bart and Lisa did at karaoke at uh, Akira's Sushi Bar or... Is it, it the uh, the bar that Akira works at? Um, I hope everyone's having a good summer. I, since I don't have a regular show right now, I cannot update you about goings on in my actual life. But my summer has been pretty good. Wish the same for you's alls. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.